Warning. The following episode contains a bunch of shit, including strong language. So be warned. We are covering Neon Gods by Katie Robert, a book that imagines what if the Greek myth of Hades and Persephone, but with good long sex scenes. That's that's the whole point. This book is brought to our attention by at Library Monkey One One. Might be eleven, but it's easier to say one one. Uh, when we asked at the beginning of the year for book recommendations, a bunch of you helped us out, and those are the books that we're been reading all year. And this was the one. So thank you again at Library Monkey One One. Thank you very much. Thank you for your service as the eleventh Library Monkey. God knows. We want to keep it strong for all the library monkeys we've lost along the way. A moment of silence, if we could. Anyway, be aware that we will be talking about sex, consent, using all the words that go along with that, including penis and vagina and cock and pussy and hoo-ha, bing-bong, Mr. Rancho, the great big splat, all the medical terms. So just be aware that that's going to happen. We're also going to make light of violence and several serious topics, such as defenestration, because so many people fell out of windows, they made a word for it. What the fuck's that about? This episode is sponsored by A Little Poke Mattresses, the betting company that wants you to rethink the way you think about betting with A Little Poke. Welcome to the Ben Library Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. My name is S.T. Harker. I'm a librarian, writer, lover of ancient myths, and sexual escapades filled with crass and explicit words like pussy and cock and booty. I may have mentioned, but once again, I must say that this is an erotic book, and I had no idea how explicit I'm going to get into this. You've been warned. The basic story is pretty simple. Honestly, The whole book is pretty simple. If you know the story about how we got the seasons, then you know. Hades kidnaps Persephone. She eats some pomegranate in the underworld, and she's trapped there for half the year. Her mom, Demeter, is depressed most of the time, so we get winter and the flowers die. This retelling, reimagining, reconfiguring, rebamboozling, whatever, Ask the question, what if all that happened, but in an erotic thriller from the 1990s, but with today's technology? We start with a party, as all books should. Persephone is there for her mother, one of the 13 leaders who control the city. Right away, we have to set the scene. Gone away are the metaphysical powers. This isn't Percy Jackson. These are just powerful people holding positions that give them jobs. Imagine, if you will, that corporations were people. It's a weird thought. Where Demeter handles food. Poseidon, the dock workers. Ares, the police force. And Zeus. Fuck, I don't know. Electrical power, big business. Pick one. He's a leader and he's kind of a dick. 
Everything is generally unclear in Mythburg, the town where all this takes place. That's my name for it, by the way. It is modern day, with guns and cars and cell phones. To be honest, too much attention is made to the myth of it all that it gets distracting to anyone with a passing knowledge of the ancient myths, the Greek and the Roman stuff. Anyway, in the big party, we're in Persephone's point of view, and she learns that her mother sold her out, and that Persephone is now betrothed to Zeus. And she knows his ass probably killed at least two previous wives, or Hera's. If you see what I mean about the myths, what did Hera's do? Who were they? Can anyone be in the positions with the right political power? I'm more around that maybe later, maybe, but it's just very interesting that the Hera's exist. I mean, what are they? Like, child care for the city? Is that why the city's gone? Crap. Who knows? Persephone freaks out, runs away, which is, you know, fair. She roams the scary streets of Mythburg's upper city. I did like this part. It shows that while the rich and opulent, opulent live in towers with their fancy parties and their pirates, if my notes... Had the right. I don't know why autocorrect did not like the word parties. I've had to change that three times now. The streets are dirty and dangerous. You know, like there's this really nice upper thing, like all the rich people are living great and like having these wonderful lives, but the streets suck. Every You can't just go out into the streets. There's like glass and shit everywhere. And the rulers are dickbags. People suffer. The streets reflect that. Pretty soon, Persephone realizes she's being followed. And she's chased by Zeus's men down to the shores of the river Styx that divides the upper and the lower parts of the city. And she's, like I said, she stepped on glass. She's in a lot of pain. All the running. She wasn't prepared for that. She was in, like, you know, a party gear. So she's taking off her high heels or whatever non-running shoes she was wearing. And she comes to a bridge. And on the other side of this bridge, there's this big, tall, brooding man and he beckons her to cross to him, away from the men. And she does. She gets her shit together. She gets up all her gumption and on her bloody feet. And she runs to the guy. And he looks kind of like an asshole because he just stands there being like, come over here. Why the fuck is that up? I mean, we understand why later. But it's still kind of a dick move to meet our big hero of the story. Meeting our heroine of the story. They're meat cute. And he just stands there like an asshole. And at this point, I actually do kind of know, need to know if there's magic involved. Persephone, if I remember right, she feels wrong when she's crossing the bridge, when she's making her way over, which, yeah, she's got her feet torn to shit and she's tired and beat up and it's probably late. She's had a big emotional shock with the whole having to marry a psychotic murderer business tycoon that she didn't want to. And there's also been talk about how, you know, like she's going to leave the city. And there's vague talk about how leaving the city, and this is throughout the book, how hard it is and how it takes money and power. And it feels magical, like something is keeping them there. Yet there's no overt magic in the story, unless you, you know, subscribe to the magic of the human heart and all that nonsense. Maybe I read it wrong, but it feels like Olympus, which I think is just the tower, it's not the city, I don't really remember 
it's changed into a modern city separate from the rest of the world sometimes. We don't get a relationship about where it is, although it seems very American from its, I don't know, the way it works. I mean, Zeus will shoot somebody instead of throwing lightning bolts, yet crossing the bridges and leaving the city is difficult and hard. I don't, I don't know. I don't get it. I don't know. I'm just saying, in the real world, if you want to leave a city, you can just do that as an adult. There's more keeping Persephone in place than just monetary reasons, and it's just it feels weird through the whole story if you think about it too much. Anyway, Persephone runs into the arms of a hunky hunk man, and the men stop chasing her across the bridge. And that hunk is, of course, Hades, as if I've mentioned before. And he picks her up and he takes her back to his house. And here we're at his point of view. And the chapters do flip-flop back from his point of view to her point of view to his point of view to her point of view. And that's sort of the annoying way it it, uh, it happens, I guess. Uh, we get his thoughts as he patches her up, as he puts her to bed. She calls her sisters, so everybody will know she has three different sisters. And Hades goes down to his kitchen and meets with Hermes, who's breaking into his house because she's the messenger god and the god of thieves or something. So she just does that. That's her job, which I get like Guild of Thieves or something, but still it's very odd that this is just her. Yeah, everybody's just like, okay, that she can break into places. Of course, she has to deliver messages, so she has to be able to get into places, but it seems like she's abusing this power a bit. And that seems to be the one of the overarching themes. Abuse of power, those who do it and those who don't. And talking to her, he learns nothing. So he goes up the stairs and he's thinking about, you know, stuff. And right about here, I begin to think, ah, fuck. This is romance. I didn't expect erotica to come up after this, but it's totally on the romance aisle. And you can tell just by reading it. And how do I know this? Since nobody has had sex or really... You know, there's been a meet cute, but not really. He wasn't all dashing and interesting, and neither one of them are, you know, seem like they're hitting it off together. Well, buckle up for a literature class with Grandpa Ban. So you have these things in writing called scenes, and you have these things called sequels. Scenes are fairly straightforward. There's a character A wants something and tries to accomplish that goal while something acts in conflict to that. Pretty simple. Dude tries to walk across a room, uh, but there's a woman with a knife, or the room's on fire, or a dude is racist against rooms, and he just has to overcome that. There's something in there to overcome. You get it. Sequels, though, are the bastards that make you feel things. They are the bits of writing, and they can be pages long, or a paragraph, or even a sentence, if the writer is masterful enough, I guess is the word. But they connect us to the characters. They make them human. They act as transitions from scene to scene sometimes. If you've never given a shit about a main character, then it's probably because the author fucked up the sequels. See, sequels follow scenes, or a series of scenes, and show us the character reacting to what's happening in a human way. And they mimic how how people react to things. Humans. All of us. I keep saying humans and feel like I'm not one of you, and well, we'll leave it at that. They at least mimic, sequels do, about how our brains 
think, how we react to things when we're reacting, how the thought process, when something happens, we first get emotional and then we analyze the problem and then we make a decision on what to do next. Sounds logical, but you'd be surprised how many writers fuck that up. Because there's a simple sequel that could be, oh shit, Steve's on fire. I need to find a fire extinguisher. Emotion is the surprise and fear. Oh shit. Analyze the problem is Steve's on fire. And make a decision. Get a fire extinguisher. So you see how these things, that's a very simplistic way to do it, but it is. And here's the really cool part about it. You can be pretty accurate about the genre in which you are paying, if you're paying attention to those stages. Mystery focuses on analyzing the problem. Action focuses on the decision. So mystery is like going over all the clues, everything we've learned up till now. It's when the detective is like, well, Jim told me this, but Stacy was lying about that part. You know, that kind of sort of stuff. Action focuses on the decision, like I said, where it's less about analyzing the problem. It is get the fire extinguisher. It is uh, jump off the cliff. There's no real thinking or analyzing. It's a very, very quick very reactionary a lot of times. And the more emotional genres like horror and romance, they focus on the reaction of the emotions because the emotions are always first and, well, emotional. And I know people don't usually lump horror and romance together, but they are with comedy. And I think there was a good Stephen King quote that said that horror and comedy, and I would lump romance in there, are all in the house of suspense. You're waiting for the payoff, whether that be a fear or a joke or two people getting together. It's all very suspenseful. And I would honestly say that's kind of where this book fails. But anyway, I'm not saying the author writes he was scared or she fell in love with him, but there is some clarification of the emotional journey that the people are going through in sequels between the scenes where people are making decisions and fighting against things when they're actually by themselves sort of thinking, even if they're on, in their own heads thinking about this and not like conversing. It can be a conversation too, where two people like announce their love for each other, but that even that's a conflict and decision. It depends. It's very fun to play around with, but you can tell here in emotional scenes in Neon Gods, we get longing glances at the other one, ruminations on broody behavior, how her heart raced when he held her, that kind of shit. The second those descriptors take like half a page or two pages, ah shit man, we're in Romance Town, population neon gods. And that makes sense the more you think about it and you'll start to notice, now that I've told you probably, when books are doing that. If they're not actively fighting against something, they're usually processing it with those three steps. Emotion, analyzing, and decision-making. It's kind of fun when you really start looking at the nuts and bolts of writing. I'm a nerd, so there we go. So yeah, romance books. And I'm not saying that's good or bad or what. It's just how a lot of stories work. And if you want to write a good story, it's sometimes good to pay attention to those little things to connect your readers to make them feel things a little bit more and to do it a little bit more artfully. So which is this is now the best time. Our two leads are hatching a romance plot. They get to conspiring. 
See, Hades hates Zeus because the dude killed his parents, making him Hades at a young age. And this, again, are the jobs within families, because there's not another Hera, apparently, that came along. No Hera's daughter that became Hera, which is creepy on itself. Like, the whole machinations of this entire thing just kind of don't make fucking sense. But, anyway, Hades was left also with these, like, wicked scars, whereas apparently his parents were burned to death. And he was almost burned as well and got out of it and he's all fucked up. Which makes him, of course, moody and interesting. Persephone also hates Zeus because, well, he killed his wives. And she was almost one. And he's a dickbag. I don't know, he's just, he's just a bad guy. So Persephone's like, hey, Hades, we should start fucking. But not really, like, fucking. We just want to appear that so she won't seem pure and virginal to Zeus because, again, they're the evil people in the high castle. And, of course, they want everybody to be, you know, purity is a big thing. And that's, again, that's a very American, I think, notion that the rich and powerful, that all good people are very pure and pious. Which, and if they start having sex or if it gets out that they're having sex, she'll be a tarnished pride. Plus, she's about to turn the age about three months from now. Her plan, she was about to get a bunch of money. And she was going to leave town. So if they can hold off for three months, she can hide out. I'll be good. She can run away. And at first, Hades is like, this shit won't work. But then he's like, but public sex, though. And he's thinking like two birds. If she's offended, she'll back off. If she's into it, public sex. But he's McDead sexy pants, and she's in her dark parts. She's into all that shit, which Kip keeps mentioning a lot. I think that was a little bit weird, but okay, whatever. In her dark, you know, Persephone's dark, darker parts. She's into having sex with people in front of other people. I don't know. I'm not shaming anybody. If you're into it, go for it. If it makes you happy, if it's all consensual, hey. We're all trying to get through this life. If you're not hurting anybody else, I applaud you. Do your thing. But it's just kind of weird when they keep mentioning in the dark places of her, she really wanted to bone down in front of other people. It doesn't make it better if you say it prettier. That's all I'm saying. But I guess it could be. And seriously, this book talks about the urges and the dark parts of her that I was relieved when they got to the cock and pussy talk. Metaphors are just Sometimes they're insufferable, and it's just tiresome to read. And you know what is also insufferable to sit through? A bad night's sleep. That's why I'm telling you today about a little poke mattresses and their wonderful sleep system products. Look, all the other mattress companies were on other podcasts, so I just picked one. At a little poke mattresses, they don't want you to get a good night's sleep. They want you to bring the height of nirvana. Their mattresses are made of 100% steel and ancient oak to provide the best night's sleep for cleansing your soul. Over 1,000 steel needles have been hand-shoved through a single blank of timber. That's just a bed of nails, you say? Well, at a little poke mattresses, they go the extra mile and have one of those nails just a hair longer. This random nail sticking above the others will provide a little poke. One needs to understand their place in the universe. Each bed is different, and no two pokes are in the same place. Look, they send me one of these, and honestly, it 
fucking creeped me out. Uh, came in this big ass box that rattled and shook. The man who delivered it, Jeff, he said he had to assemble it. It seemed nice, but he smelled like weed and gasoline. Inside the box, he just dumped it all over my apartment. Instead of a mattress that inflated or whatever, it's just a bunch of wood and nails, just loose. He spent two hours, quote-unquote, assembling the bed while I waited in another room because it was a trade secret. He stopped twice because he wanted a beer and because I was watching Outer Banks on Netflix about the kids looking for treasure and it was really good. And he had to explain it to me, or I had to explain it to him. And I wasn't really paying attention to the whole plot. I was just sort of like really kind of vibing and enjoying Whatever. Jeff got it together. I tried it out. It fucking sucks. It's like laying on a bed of nails with one sticking in you all night. Which is technically what it is. So bravo to them, I guess. And I sleep on my side, so my arms were all bloody and scraped up from like rolling over and moving. My back looks like a monkey, monkey went at it with a paring knife. It's just... <sighs> anyway, try a little poke mattresses today and use the link in the episode description to help us out. Just click the link, then enter the code WTFPOD for some reason, and that'll do it. Thanks to a little poke mattresses for the sponsorship and tell Jeff to bring back my Lord of the Rings DVDs he borrowed. Yeah. So that's our ad. Thank you. Um, Hades tells Persephone, we're back in neon gods to rest and not walk around on her cut to shit feet. And she's all bratty, but she's into his domination caring thing. So she does. And Hades goes down and talk to his man, Andreas, which if you know, Greek myths, he has something to do with the wind, I forget. And they've been planning a war with Zeus since the whole parent-killing thing. Then Zeus calls, and Hades and Zeus kind of bullshit for a bit, and nothing much really happens, and now are for the non-comedic negotiation sex scene. Which, if you read Fifty Shades of Grey or saw the movie, which I don't recommend you do, they're both... Well, at least the movie is competently made and hilarious. They're both horrific I don't know it's just they're bad they're just bad in every way they're badly made they're badly told well the movie is not badly made and everybody in it is doing their best it's just that the the whole thing sucks just saying it's just Fifty Shades of Grey is just trash and it's uh, abusive and horrible don't read it but there is one really funny scene where they're going back and forth and negotiating whether or not you know, fisting will be okay. Or, you know, sex in the butt. And things like that. Uh, that's a really funny scene in that. Here, uh, he's into domination. And they are really going to have public sex to sell the story. And he asks for her password. You know, a safe word. So that she'll stop. Or they'll stop. And she picks pomegranate. And we're following the myth. Good for them. And this is actually a very... A much more non-abusive sex scene. It's very well done as far as consent goes. But for all my past and future grumbling about romance and playing with this myth, I do like the pivot to consent through the, throughout the story. Long ago, like I said, we covered Fifty Shades and there's a wildly abusive tale that was told there. And here's the same type of story, but mixed with per- Persephone having things explained and her pursuing the lifestyle, not having someone, you know, force it upon her and the way the myth myth has changed is good she chooses to run to him on the bridge rather than be kidnapped rather than the pomegranate being the thing that forces her to stay in the underworld it's a trigger for everything to stop around her 
It's clever, actually, and it's pretty well told, and I'll give the book props when it has it. So the sex and the banter commence. He makes her orgasm with his fingers, and I think it's, I forget exactly, but she's happy. Uh, even bantering more when they're done, because that's what these do. They go back and forth, and then they both masturbate. Somehow this turns into talk of her sisters, because, yeah, why not? And she's the one that keeps the peace, apparently, as the one that is more dominant and prone to not fight with the others. The older one is the really the bossier one. The middle one is pretty much okay, and the baby one just loves some asshole. And the next day, while the house is waking up, Hermie shows up again. She's not just breaking and entering, but she has a message. And see what I mean about the lines being a little blurry? Like I said, it's it's just very strange that people can pop in and out and claim it's their office that lets them do that. When really it's just them being assholes. Anyway, uh, the message is from Demeter. If Persephone is not returned, then she will cut off food to the lower city. It's an explicit threat, but Hades is not worried. He has been preparing for war with the Thirteen for a long time knowing that one of the ways they would strike at him would be at his people. He is worried, though, that Persephone will freak out, because she's all rich and privileged. But then he goes down to find her helping make breakfast, and feels kind of good about her. Her feet are better because the passage of time is completely unclear in the book, and maybe it's magic, I don't know. Anyway, they go for a walk, and get her some clothes for her to stay with him, because apparently it hasn't been that long. She's been wearing the same old clothes, and while they're shopping, she gets a little lightheaded. She insists that she's fine. She just needs something to eat. And he says, fuck that, picks her up, carries her home, saying, quote, you will care about your health, or I will tie you down. Unquote. It's a good scene, both showing their respective feelings, as well as, well, he really cares about her moment. If, including all the BDSM domination of it, you know, all that stuff. And after a nice nap, Persephone gets dressed up in a get-up, written to sound a lot like the Leia slave bikini from Star Wars, except without all the slave talk. Or it might actually be in there, I honestly can't remember. Turns out, Hades is having a little bit of a party. Soiree. He has shown her his sex dungeon throne room before, but now she gets to see it in action. He has a legit throne room on one side of the room, a legit throne, where he sits. In the center of the room, there's a platform of sorts where a couple's just going at it. Stuff is being put places, things are going into things, urges are being satisfied and denied, sucking and fucking. I'm just, it's all over there with a rope, like you do. Persephone is fascinated by it all. But Hades is ho-hum bored. Eros and Hermes are also there and try to say Hades is being a dick or something, and Persephone defends him. She sees how he is with his staff and the people of the lower city, and she's into it. He's a good dude. He likes that she stood up for him, but not just because they're trying to sell that they're a couple, but because she actually means it. He also is reminded that she has sisters and they could be used as pawn in the game they're playing. No matter that, Hermes ships them, saying, quote, She makes Hades human, and he makes Persephone interesting. Unquote. After this public display, Demeter 
doubles down on her threats to starve the lower city. It doesn't work. They're prepared for that shit. The people love Hades and will do with or out or with rations if it helps him. Which is awesome. And something he did not explicitly ask them to do. He really is a good leader of his people. So after all that, Hades and Persephone go to the Bone Zone and have a good damn time there. Season ticket holders to the Bone Zone. All around. The Thirteen are tired of this shit. The Persephone not marrying Zeus, not the fucking and sucking in the Bone Zone. Hades has a Zoom meeting with them. Or Skype or Hangouts or whatever Olympus shit they call it. They throw some bullshit shade his way and he stoically takes it. Then Persephone pops in behind him and tells the most powerful people in town, including her mother, to go fuck themselves. And closes the computer. She's all horny for that shit, and so is he, so he fucks her face before she climbs on and rides his face. A lot of face synergy here. Because who doesn't like some work-from-home sex, right? Get you some. Zoom calls and sex. After telling her mom and her business partners to go fuck themselves and then go in and fucking herself, Persephone calls her sisters. I don't remember all three of their names, but the loud one is mad, the middle one is worried, and the dim youngster with the shitty boyfriend is there, and they're all being followed. Just like what was said before, when she was followed. And life kind of just continues after that. Uh, Hades and Persephone go to the market. They get hero- heroes. Persephone falls more in love with Hades as he proves he is a good guy. He knows the backstory of the hero guy and the, everyone in the market stalls, which I do kind of like the idea that if there's Greek food because of Greek myth, get it? Ha ha ha. She falls so much in love with him that she moves into his room, which they have been sexing so much she might as well. At this point, I completely lost interest in this novel. Every story in some way should provide, like I said before, even romance has suspense. Well, they won't they. All that stuff. But here, because not only the base narrative tells us in myth that they are together, but there's no significant threat to their relationship. There's no dark secret. There's no other suitor. No active designs beyond Zeus. And honestly, he's barely been present. Even as like a shadowy figure with, you know, he's not there. They're just hanging out in Hades' house, having lots of sex and public stuff and then randomly Skyping. So far, like I said, Zeus has just made some calls. He sent some guys and they've done very little. It's not really somebody to be frightened of in any substantial way. Even with the threat to her sisters, it's still not there. And the relationship is boring. I mean, yeah, real life, mooning over your significant other and giving them orgasms is a lot of fun. Year-round. 24-7. But in a story, after about 100 pages or so, your book better be about something other than that. People only fit together a finite number of ways before it all seems kind of reductive to the observer. You don't believe me? Go out and build a Lego set versus watching someone put random pieces together. I'm not talking like time-lapse of a project where you see like a Death Star appear. I'm talking literally just putting two pieces together over and over again. It's fucking boring. It's a little satisfying when you do it yourself, but that's it. Just two lonely people in a basement sticking Legos together. That's what this book feels like to me. I mean, people might be into that, but it's not me. I need a little bit more in the narrative. 
And my next note to prove my point is chapters 20 and 21. Time passes and everyone has sex. Just six words. I didn't even bother. Anyway, uh, it's been a few chapters without a reference to mythology, so they go dog shopping and they buy three puppies. Little black dogs, and one of them gets named Cerberus, and the other two get other names. Because I don't remember the other two, but a three-headed dog for Hades is, of course, three-headed dog for Hades. The only other point of this is fairly bittersweet. Her saying that the puppies will be with him after she's gone. It's very John Wick. You need someone to love. And that bittersweet feeling continues after she blows him in front of everyone during a party. Time to time, I like this book, the sweet, sorry fantasy that they will be together. I don't know, I just, that is nice. And the driving narrative, if you will, is that the BDSM book that hopes for the future is the real fantasy. But it does not fully pay off because the outside world has not been established, and I still have no idea if this city exists in a magical realm or just outside of Chicago. Wherever it is, the implication is that once you leave the city, the possibility for long-distance relationship is donezo. Just a frustrating as a reader, especially with people as opulent as these characters are. They should be able to go and do whatever. I mean, hell, he's already Skyping with the people across the city who says they can do that everywhere else. And there's another party, and he's all about her. He gets her up on the throne and eats her out. She's all, that was your throne. And he's like, we're equals now. Please stay. And they fuck all desperate for each other. And she's the same, telling him or thinking it, I forget which, that he's her heir. Isn't a breathable substance, which is nice. Sort of. It's a romantic line. But it's just, it doesn't feel great. I don't know. It just feels so cheesy. And they're all sexed up. And he goes at her with his way to ruin her. He wants to, quote, ruin her sexually for all future lovers, unquote. It just almost sounds kind of mean. I mean, I guess the next time she blames Hercules or whoever, she'll be like, well, he's no Hades. Which, I mean, okay, sure, why not? Anyway, at this point, I wanted this book to end, so I just started burning through pages. I skipped more sex, and I stuck to the plot. So if you don't like me talking about sex, you should be good for the rest Well, probably not. Who knows? One of Persephone's sisters, the young one with the shitty boyfriend, gets into some shit. Uh, The boyfriend was photoed with another girl because even in Mythburg, TMZ exists apparently. She gets angry and runs around the city because that's apparently what her family does when they freak out. They find her just like before when Persephone ran by the fucking bridge. And there's two dudes chasing her just like before. And Hades jumps to her rescue and he gets off a uh, magic shot. They had a knife or some shit from the guy's hand. And the whole point of him not chasing her before, when he was like across the bridge and Persephone was all bleeding and shit, and he was like, come over, it's because there was a truce that Hades Hades would not cross the bridge into whatever Mythburg, upper city, and, and nobody else would come down to the lower city. That's why it's a big deal that Hermes is there, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he gets off this crazy good shot and basically braced the truce. War is coming. Everybody's going to hell. Because this book cannot end in some sexy street battle, Persephone, back at home, makes the deal with her mom, and she sneaks back across the river somehow. 
And she takes a picture with Zeus and is like, yeah, we're going to get married and that all gets back to Hades. And he gets really upset. He's pissed because he's not had his balls drained in 20 minutes or something and goes to Zeus's tower and they scuffle. It's barely a fight. And Zeus falls on his own, his own ass out a tower window. That's how the bad guy gets it here. Not like a, you know, cool death. He just sort of swings in a miss and goes out a window. And the book wraps up with Persephone staying with Hades. Her mom's cool with it because Hades is powerful and throws his support behind her. And with Zeus gone, Demeter can be powerful as shit. And the company, the couple... Only has to make a couple public appearances a few times a year. And besides having public sex all the time, because that's what they do. Which means, yep, there's another public sex scene. Happens right at the end. Doc's got a fuck, as my grandma Wendy always said. Overall, this book really bored me to tears. And that's based on my own reading likes and dislikes. Romance is not my genre. Never really has been. I like a couple getting together. But it's always good if it's the spice and the gumbo. Not the whole damn thing, you know what I mean? But that being said, I feel the overall conflict of the book was weak. The reliance on myth and the only slight deviations from the formula made me bored most of the time. The bittersweet moments were effective, but not followed up on or even explored. Persephone and Hades think about being apart, but from the moment they meet, they're locked together, and they both don't mind it. The sex scenes are pretty erotic, but I just found myself caring for nobody in particular. Go back to that Lego moment. But anyway, that's the end of the book. That's the end of our little story here. Thanks again to at LibraryMonkey11 for this random choice that was at least an interesting read. I'm not going to say it's a bad book. Somebody out there probably loves it. It just wasn't mine. And it was fun to talk about, at least. I got to do some weird sexual shit with adults, not, you know, creepy kids figuring out their own bodies and stuff. That's always weird to talk about. Anyway, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, all that bullshit. You know, by now, um, a little poke mattresses. God bless you. I wonder where you are right now. A little poke. I burn mine. I'm just going to tell you right now, but yeah, definitely try it. If it's your thing, you know, better nails. Why not? Get it delivered to you. Guy named Jeff. Next month, we are going to be doing American Hippo by, shit, I forgot who the author was and don't have it in front of me, but um, I really love this one. This one's a fun read. So you can read it, American Hippo by Sarah Gainley, I think. I might be wrong on that. Check us out next week or next month. Thank you for listening. Stay in. Read a book. Music, Dances and Dames, by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.